episode 70 of Winning at Work. Hello, I'm your host, Tony Moore. Thank you for joining us today. If you're enjoying the content, and I've had a lot of great guests on lately, please subscribe. And if you're seeing this on LinkedIn, share it. This content you will not get anywhere else. These are C-level and SVP, VP-level food and beverage executives who are taking time out of their day to help teach and coach and advise and share their best practices with all of us in the food and beverage network. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Eric Skay. He is the CEO of Carbone Fine Food. Let me tell you a little bit about Eric, he is a C-level change manager retained to organize and structure and lead CPG companies through breakout transactional outcomes. In other words, he goes to brands that are underperforming and he turns them around and he sells them and he is laser focused. And he's done this for a number of companies. Currently, he's with Carbone Fine Food, which is a stellar brand in New York and they've got restaurants around the world, and they're now launching into retail, and it is taking off there. Before that, he was COO for Popcornopolis, which they sold premium popcorn. He was at Rayo's Specialty Foods, so the homemade pasta sauce, which is now just about in every grocery store that you find, plus a huge presence at Costco. He joins me today to discuss the way he approaches business Within a brand, he entertains a round robin of questions that I have about branding, struggling brands, where to focus, where's that 20%, uh, when to use a endorser versus a celebrity, and other questions concerning talent, you know, how to hire, how to run lean. This is a fantastic episode that we packed a lot in in only 30 minutes. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did with Eric. Sit back and enjoy. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today on uh, Winning at Work. Well, thank you for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation because these brands that you've built, the the turnarounds that you've gone through, it's just just intriguing. And I've just got a lot of questions and I'm just really hoping you can really help, you know, the listeners figure out, you know, what is a good brand? You know, how do you choose a good brand? Because obviously that's part of your process of turning a company around is you, you must know something about, you know, what you're getting into before you get started. This, there's elements of what I'll call a world-class brand. And a lot of them have the same attributes. And it, I, to me, it all starts with margin structure. Um, you, you know, the, the, everybody along the value chain wants to know what's in it for them. So you're, you're paying a, you know, distributors making a margin a retail is making a margin. You got to deliver a value to the consumer. You got to pay your brokers. You've got to pay your employees. You've got to market the product. So there's a lot of cost in building a brand. So it all starts with a strong margin structure and it's really, really important. And then you get into things such as, you know, provenance, authenticity. Um, where's your product come from? What makes it authentic? You know, those, those type of things. So, um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into kind of creating a brand that's going to work. Uh, that's really what I, I want you to, to teach us because you looking through your background and it might be helpful for people who don't know, you know, your background, you've been very successful in taking over a brand and positioning it 
to be sold and you've had some, some great success. And perhaps, you know, we can look back at, um, Popcornopolis and of course, uh, Rayo's, which by the way, we were just at Costco and I was telling my wife, <laughs> I said, I'm about to talk to Eric. This is, his, this is one of the brands he sold. It's there, uh, at Costco and, uh, the brand that you're in now, Carbone Fine Food. So, um, tell us just a little bit about yourself and then let's kind of dive into this topic of, uh, you know, building a successful brand. Okay, so I've, had, I've got a 30-year history in consumer products and have been fortunate enough to work with really great brands along the way. So started my career as a distributor, ended up working for Arizona Ice Tea after that um, at a time when they grew from zero to 500 million and call it less than four years. So it was a sink or swim environment. Um, you either learned or you didn't make it. Um, so I chose to learn, and it was a good learning experience. Uh, from there, I went to Hanson's before they created Monster. I kind of call that my shoulda, coulda, woulda. I left before Monster was created. Uh, but I was the first, one of the first recruits from the, from Arizona. I met Mark Hall, who, who created Monster at Arizona Ice Tea. He recruited me to run national accounts. And, and again, after about 14 months, I left because he was creating brands that weren't working. And I didn't see the, I didn't see Monster on the horizon. So I moved on to a company called Fresh Samantha. Help scale that from five to forty-five million. They sold to Odwalla. I then moved to a roll-up of nine companies with Naked Juice being the brand people would know. Um, I ran half the country there. Then I created a couple of my own brands that I exited in '08. Um, started a consulting firm. Consulted for six years, forty-five different projects, ranging from startup to multi-billion-dollar companies. Um, you know, I help help companies all the way along, along the way from a size perspective. And then I had the opportunity to run Rayos, which I took through an exit, then went into Popcornopolis, um, helped the founder go through an exit. And now, um, you know, back to startup mode with Carbone Fine Food, but a startup with a very, very established restaurant brand. Yeah. And I noticed that it's, um, I think something just came out in the the, the People Food Awards that you guys were uh, nominated. No, you won Best Tomato Sauce. So that's that's huge. No, we won best tomato sauce. I mean, look, I'd love to take credit for everything that's going on, but the Carbone restaurant brand is just at an all-time high. Um, The brand's very, very well known. Uh, Everybody wants to go there. They've got a restaurant in New York, Miami, Las Vegas, and Hong Kong, and and they're growing. Um, The owners owners of major food group who own Carbone are three young, aggressive folks that are my partners now, and... um, you know, they want to grow. That's, that's what they want to do. But, but they, their motto at Carbone is it used to be dinner in a show. Now dinner is the show. And, and it's true. When you go to Carbone, you're going to get a show. Yeah. Another reason to go travel back to, to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And enjoy that, that great, all that great food. Well, we were talking a little bit off air about just what it takes to uh, either turn around a brand or make a brand extremely successful. And you've obviously had your exposure to many, many different brands. So if you were, let's say in transition and you had a number of brands in front of you that you could go to, how would you begin to suss out which one Eric's going to go to and and try to work with? Well, I mean, I'd start with margin structure um, or just the ability to get margin structure. So I'd have to look at a brand and say, okay, what, what, what is their cost of goods now? What are they selling for? How much margin is there to to work with? 
And is there an opportunity to increase that margin? Because without a strong margin, you just can't answer what I call the WIAFM, what's in it for me. Every Everyone wants to know what's in it for me when you're out there as a supplier of a brand. Your co-packer's got to be paid. The company employees have to be paid. The broker needs to get paid for, for, for a percentage. The distributor needs to, 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 to make a margin. And they're going to hit you with programs and MCBs and off invoices their salespeople needs incentives. So you've got to, you've got to have that value there. The retailer needs to make a good margin. And at the end of the day, the consumer wants value and you've got to do the things that are necessary from a marketing standpoint to drive the consumer. So when you think about it, it you know, I always call it the, the easiest, um, the, the, it's the simplest, hardest business in the world because when you think about who you have to sell along the way, you've got to sell a, a you know a broker to take your product on. You've got to sell a distributor to take your product on. You got to sell a retailer to take your product on, and then you got to sell a consumer to pick up your product. So it's not as just simple as getting to a consumer. You know, some of the direct to consumer channels have made that easier, but you know, I'm talking specifically at retail. Um, so you know, it's just that you, you need a you need a very very strong value chain there, um, which is why I like premium products because typically you can figure out a margin structure that's going to work to answer all those things. Okay. So you've just answered my first question. So you, you go after that premium product because automatically you, you get a boost on your margin. Uh, you hope so. I mean, sometimes premium products can be quite difficult to put together. Um, you know, I think about what I'm doing right now. We command a high price point, but in order to command that high price point, when we make our tomato sauce, we're opening up number 10 cans of tomatoes, just like you would in a restaurant. Um, there's 29 to 31 tomatoes in each can. So it's not like we're bringing in giant drums or, or you know, of tomatoes. We're doing this small batch, small can. It, you know, it takes a lot um, to do it. So there's a lot that goes into it. So you hope that you can have the margin structure, but sometimes it takes a while to build the, the, to build the, um, the volume to get the margin, margin structure right. But I always look at it to identify, can, can you get it there? Can you get a margin that's going to be, in my opinion, you know, greater than 50, 50 from a growth standpoint? So you can support the brand and really do what's necessary to drive and grow a brand. You know, in some food groups or food products, or maybe we should say categories, are better than others. And, you know, I look at barbecue sauce, and, you know, when I talk to people, that's not a, a category that, they're excited about. That's not a, a, a category that they want to get involved with, but yet you've chosen uh, twice now uh, tomato sauce. Well, I mean, look, look there's, in all categories, there's a, pre I shouldn't say all, a lot of categories, there's a premiumization going on. So the consumer is moving from lower and cheaper brands to higher quality brands, particularly, I mean, the last year drove it quite a bit because a lot more home, a lot more home cooking going on. A lot of people wanting to make better meals at home, and that's kind of driven the the you know the 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 push towards more premium products. So I mean, if you look at things like ice cream, craft beer, uh, pasta sauce is one. Um, we've seen this premiumization, uh, as as you know, I call it, um, of categories. The Italian section happens. To, I think the ethnic se sections in general happen to be going in that direction. You also said that there were some challenges about this mentality, this kind of culture clash. When you take over a, a brand that you have this vision for, can, can you kind of walk us through that? You, you talked about like this big company mentality versus 
quick entrepreneurial speed that you believe is necessary? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's big company, small company. I mean, anytime I go into a place where I'm new and everybody else has been there, you've got to work with culture, right? And I think I've done a good job of bridging that because there's history in the people that were at the company prior to you that's very, very important to understand, capture, and there's a lot of value with that history. So I try to I try to keep as many people around as I can and then hire people I know and trust to bring in to kind of to kind of amplify and help things. Um you know, I do move very, very fast and I run small with small teams. Um, you know, I look at the Rayos brand. When we sold the Rayos brand, we had 22 employees. Um, the company that owns it now, while they have three other brands, I think they have over 700 employees. Kind of a different way of viewing things and a different way of looking things. So, like, you know, I try to focus on the 20% of things that are going to drive business and, you know, put round pegs and round holes like, you know, or square pegs and square holes, like, you know, who fits the role and can they do multiple roles? And in, you know, our organizations, we run lean, we run fast, but we really, really try to focus on what's important. Well, that must help your margins too, without that extra overhead. Uh, it can, you know, it can driving EBITDA is what's going to sell a brand for the most money. So it's important. Um, you know, and I'm not saying, go lean to the detriment of the company. I'm saying just make sure you're focused on the things that are going to drive business. And if you do, I think you always find you don't need as many people as you think you do. What would you say, you mentioned the 20% that you want to focus on. When you think back to uh, Popcornopolis and, of course, where you are now, what is that 20% that you want to focus on initially? Well, I think it's different for every brand, right? I mean, it, that all goes back to your strategic plan and how you think about the brand. So, you know, if uh, I'll use where I am today, I've got many options. I could be in the club channel. I could be in the mass channel. I could be a big direct-to-consumer brand. I could be big on Amazon. I could be big in food. I could be big in natural specialty. So we've identified the channels that we want to get after and that just in and then, you know, a maniacal focus, I would say, on the channels that you want to go after is what, what is important. Uh, and not let all the noise and, and clutter get in your way because, you know, you, you, you kind of get anxious to get new business and you take on business at times that you shouldn't if you don't stay intently focused on, on where, you, where you know your product should grow and where you're going to get the greatest value for your shareholders and yourself. You have the advantage because you have been in the space for 30 years, but let's say you are a, a new entrepreneur and you have created a, a, a brand. Maybe it launched out of your kitchen and you've just gotten great reviews everywhere. You've sold it and there's more and more demand. You talked about identifying the channels. You may just intuitively understand what channels to choose, but could you add some insight around maybe even that selection process? Well, I mean, I think it's if you're having success, you know where that success is coming from. So lean into the success, right? In many cases, it's not coming from omni-channel. It's not coming from five or six different channels. It's coming from one. So really, really like focus on that channel and maybe take one other channel that you can kind of start to develop, but don't put a ton into it. So you got a place to go once you've kind of exhausted your channel that you're growing. But, you know, it's kind of the whole inch wide, mile deep type mentality. So like, it, you know, and, and it varies for what type of brand you are. If you're, if you're a beverage brand and you can go cross channel and have to go cross channel where you've got to go into 
conventional supermarkets, natural specialty, convenience, so on and so forth, you're better off with a geographical focus. But if you're a pasta sauce brand like I am, you're better off with a channel focus. What, what, you know, actually, I should say geographical and channel. So, like, you know, my plan right now, we've, we've stayed on the East Coast, and I will until we feel like it makes sense to move elsewhere. Now that you have chosen the channel, you're leaning into to your success, and you're focusing on that 20%, you don't want your brand to decline. And you've obviously have turned around enough brands that you've, you've gone into those that were in that declining state. And I was thinking... Maybe you have some insight as to why these brands just why, or maybe why brands in general start to decline. I know that's a that's a big question, and there's lots of different ways to handle that. But what's your opinion? Why do you think brands do start to decline? Are there some signs that they can look and maybe to protect or defend against? I, that's a that's just a tough question because a lot of it's going to come down to what category you're in and. You know, where the consumer's reacting, where they're going to. Like, you know, if you went into coconut water 15 years ago, great move. You went into coconut water today, I don't know if it's a good move unless you've got something completely different, right? So it's difficult to protect against the declines. I guess, you know, growing your base and understanding where you've got to go and how you're going to increase share becomes really, really important. And that's one of the things I'm always intently focused on is, all right, I've got four facings right now. How do I get to eight facings? How do I get to 16 facings? How do I get to 32 facings? You know, it's something I started when I went into Rayo's in 2016, and I look at what they've done today. I saw a picture the other day, and it was a picture of my carbon sauce, but I had eight facings and was thrilled to see eight facings. And underneath me, there was, I want to say, you know, 16 vertical feet of Rayo's. <laughs> so, you know, so many facings I couldn't, couldn't count. And, you know, I, I was reminded by one of my sales guys that that's, you know, had worked at Rayo's that, you know, just remember we were, we were top shelf and all we talked about was how do we get off the top shelf? How do we get eye to thigh and how do we expand our facings? And that's, that's the push. So if, if you, you know, you're either, you're either, you're either growing or you're declining in this business, it's hard to throttle, right? So. Yeah. I love that. How do you get off the top shelf and get eye to thigh? That's, that's exactly right. Well, maybe you have some uh, some stories or, or some insight back at that time at Rayos because you did lead a, a a reorg. You did you went through the turnaround, rebranding, and I believe uh, if if my memory serves me right, I mean it was a pretty healthy you know sale. Um, what can we learn from that? You know, I, I think what I what I learned from it, what I so so look, I, I I took over a brand, and yes, there was a lot of turmoil going on within the company, but the underlying brand was amazing, and it had all of the things that you would want. It had the right design and look. It had the right value chain. The, the margins were there. The production process was unique in the fact that, you know, they took the steps, small batch. It was done really, really well. It tasted great. Like, you know, if you did a taste test against people, it tasted better than, than what was on the market. The price was super premium, but within reach. Like it wasn't so far out there that the consumer was like, ah, I'm not paying that. Um, from a marketing perspective, be, the, the brand kind of took a life on of its own because people knew the brand. So there were marketing opportunities and that, you know, that's some of the, some of the tricks become there because you, you know, with a brand like Rayo's or a brand like Carbone, you have so many opportunities from a marketing standpoint, so many things coming at you, picking the right ones is really, really important and not trying to do them all. 
And then, you know, the, the influencers that just tend to follow some of these brands, figuring out how to lean in and work with those, those folks becomes important. So, um, you know, I would say, yes, I would say, you know, what, what I've learned at Rayo's or any other successful brand that I've been at, and I've been fortunate to have been involved in a lot of them. Those would be, you know, a lot of the things that I would consider important. Have you found that in the, in this food space, having a, a sponsor, uh, or celebrity, does that, it, it, does that help the brand or is that just really, uh, a luxury position? Because I, I, I've never seen it, but you just talked about having so many different opportunities, so many different things that are coming at you. Look, I, th- I think, you know, celebrity endorsement is great. I, you know, it's like chicken soup. It can't, it can't hurt. Right. But if, if, if you really dive into it, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I think it was probably more powerful than it is today because now there's so many celebrities that are involved in brands that I think authenticity might be getting lost a little in that. So when I say influencer, I don't necessarily mean celebrity. Um, An influencer for me, you know, could be, you know, someone who everybody in a neighborhood looks to. They might have 300 followers, but they have 300 followers that listen to them. Yeah, it's always more powerful when you get a referral from someone and they love a brand and they're just brand evangelists. And that's really what we're talking about is just finding people who become really activated and and kind of energized about your brand. And, you know, having a very, very successful restaurant in New York and Miami and these other places that you, you mentioned, you've already got that following. You've got that base. So what do you think is next for Carbone Fine Food? I know you're uh, you've been here now almost a year. What are your plans? What do you think the, the future holds? Well, look, I started on October 29th. We didn't get on a first shelf till March 1st. So essentially, we've been in business for four months now, give or take. Um, we've already had 3,000 stores committed between Massachusetts and South Carolina. So what's next is to really just focus on those 3,000 stores and make sure those 3,000 stores are working. I'll finish out the balance of the East Coast in 2022 layer in natural specialty across the country, put a little bit of focus on Southern California. Um, 23, we'll move on to, you know, balance of the country from a conventional supermarket standpoint, and then 24, 25, fill out the rest of the channels. So, you know, it's a a very defined plan. It could go faster, it could slow down. Just depends on whether my team and I feel that we're hitting on all cylinders um, where we are today before we move to the next thing. To grow, to to scale and to manage that much growth, how does uh, or, or the the talent shortage that's out in the market? How is that impacting what your plans are, or has it, or is it impacting you in some way? It hasn't yet. Um, you know, this is this is the beauty about dealing with a with a with a great brand that people know. People do want to come be to work with the brand and be affiliated with the brand. So. You know, knock wood, right now, things have been good. <laughs> um, you know, we're early in the stage. We're a mighty team of seven that's put 3,000 accounts on. And, you know, all the way through February, it was myself and a couple of part-time consultants um, that took it to, to that point, developed the products. You know, of course, I was working with my, my award-winning chefs and partners that are fantastic. So I did have other support beyond that. But very lean team got it to, to launch. Um 
and a lean team right now is, is, you know, developing it. So I haven't had to go out and find a lot of people. And right now, fortunately, I've been able to, to take the someone, you know, and trust approach. And most of the folks working with me have worked with me in the past or came referred by someone who's worked with me in the past. Yeah. The known commodity. Well, maybe you have some advice for people who are hiring. Maybe you've, um, learned a few tricks along the way, you know, this, obviously me being a headhunter working in the food and beverage space, this is what we deal with on a daily basis. And if we can get a referral, that's gold. That's what we want. But let's assume, you know, you're not getting the referral and, you know, you're out on the open market and you're trying to hire. Have you, um, do do you have a certain uh, philosophy when you're hiring? Maybe something that we could kind of pick up from you? You know, it's funny because it's changed, uh, and it's really changed in large part because of the the the, uh, the, the remote work environment. Um, I used to, you know, I used to love to just hire for attitude and train for skill. I find the training remote. The remote uh, training is much much harder in certain areas. Um, so it's become difficult and I've kind of had to shift my philosophy because normally if someone like really just was so passionate about my brand and when you have a brand like a Rayos or a Carbone or a Popcornopolis, people do tend to come to you that just love the brand. And if they have certain skill sets, you can, you can teach them, but if you're not with them enough, it becomes very, very difficult. So I've evolved there and I, I, you know, now I'm really, <laughs> I'm really on the someone, you know, and trust kick and trying to just bring in people who I know who are known commodities. So unfortunately I don't know how to answer the question just because of the change in the environment over the last year. Well, you've just opened up another question and that's the big problem that I think we're all having is that how, how do you hire, you know, in a remote environment and when people have gotten used to working remote and they want to be remote, I mean, it's just very challenging because like you say, you know, you know, hire for attitude and then, you know, train up the skills that typically works. But, you know, if you're not going to be around them that much, you know, how do you transfer that knowledge, that, uh, that culture, all the little subtle things that they get by working with your top employees that they would just naturally just see and witness and then just assume those skills themselves. They just, they lack that. It's, it's a struggle. I, I don't know the answer to it either. Yeah, I don't know what I mean, what I've done, and, and I don't know whether it's right or wrong. There's a lot more Zoom meetings, and there's a lot more. Um, so, you know, I, I have one-on-ones with my, my direct reports. I have department meetings uh, once a week, and then I have a complete team meeting where we get all the cross-functional stuff done once a week. So I'm on Zoom a whole lot more than I ever have been and trying to transfer as much knowledge as I, as I can there. And I've recently just, you know, now that, now that travels open up and it's easier to do, I'm, I'm putting in a monthly full day meeting where we just get through everything and cross-functionally, at least the right hand knows what the left is doing. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's honestly, it's a, it's a learning for everybody because we're just working in a completely different environment. Yeah. And I'm not. I know. I think for the employee, you know, I think they like the fact that they're remote. But I think the biz, I think a lot of business owners would prefer to have, you know, have people back under one roof just for that unity. Um, well, I know we've we've kind of covered a lot of ground from different angles. One of the other questions that I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask Eric is when you're looking at brands and you are leading them to an, an exit strategy. What are the, the typical multiples that you uh, could can anticipate for these different categories? 
you know, it's, it's all over the board. It really depends on, it depends on a lot of things and it's, you know, a lot of it comes down to growth rate and EBITDA, right? So if you're growing at over 30% and you got an EBITDA over 20, I'm going to get you a freaking great result. Or if I can squeeze it to that, right? You know, that was one of the exercises at Rayo's is like, how do we take growth from a point? You know, it was, it was kind of flat, wasn't really growing. Um, we, we, turned it around and took the growth to, you know, give or take 40% growth and did it in a very short period of time. I'm talking about like 90 days. Um, and then we started looking at where could we cut to increase EBITDA and we were able to do that. And that's why we, we've got such a good result, but I've seen, you know, I've seen multiple so all over the place that I would not want to answer that question in a general sense, because it really is case by case. It is case by case. Well, yeah, that's the problem with with food. There's in, in CPG. There's just so many different categories and so many different things. I I was just curious because you you've done such a good job in this food space that you know entrepreneurs might just be thinking you know what the you know what the ceiling is. But to your point, there are all these other little factors. Yeah, and look, I mean, I mean, there is no ceiling if you can squeeze if you if, if you run a really efficient business and you can grow. Yeah, this you know that there's always a ceiling, but it's a very high ceiling if you can if you can get those growth rates and and manage to have a, a strong EBITDA number. Well, as we wrap up, I, I do have a, a couple more questions just about the future um, trends. What are you seeing? Do you have a a read on the the type of maybe food or categories that you see trending that are going to be more successful in the future? Well, I don't think, you know, I don't think better for you and, and functional is going to slow down for a long, long period of time, right? Um, people are tending to gravitate towards healthier brands. I think the premiumization of categories is going to continue because I think people do want to want to eat better. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of, you know, amateur home chefs right now. Uh, so I, I see those trends continuing. Um without a doubt, just, you know, continued premiumization of certain categories. And, you know, there's a lot of companies. I mean, I, I don't, the one that I kind of always look at is, is kind of really intriguing, you know, uh, smash mellows went and disrupted marshmallows. Who would have ever thought of that? But as you go through the store, there's certain tired old categories that can be disrupted and premiumized. And, you know, I think that trend continues. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, you just think of marshmallows. They're just sitting on the bottom shelf. Exactly. And someone went in and disrupted that category. And I looked at it and I was like, well, well that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, So, you know, there's these big categories out there that definitely could use an upgrade. And I think there's a lot of people kind of leaning into that and we'll continue to see that. You know, Frozen's, Frozen's done really well. Um, and again, premium, more premium items than Frozen have done well. I think that trend will continue. And I think it all just comes down to people wanting to eat better and feel like they're they're putting better stuff in their body. Eric, do, do you have any brands that you look up to? Oh, I mean, a lot of them. I, I, I you know, just uh, you know, the 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 recent one that sold Chalua. What a, what a great brand, <laughs> you know. So like, the, there's so many good brands out there that that I. I wouldn't want to like give you a, you know, a, a top no, 10 I, list it's hard, but I mean, you know, it could have been something even out of food, you know, just something that they're so innovative and imitation is the highest form of flattery. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to get into categories. I know the food space, so it's kind of what I think about. It's what I look at. Yeah, and, of course. 
you know, and and a lot of times I go back there, you know, early in my career, like I was at Arizona T. I watched the rise of Snapple. That was an interesting story. Three guys from Brooklyn, right? You know, and then Arizona comes out and it's a guy from Brooklyn and a guy from the Bronx. And then, you know, kind of did a, not a copycat. They did it completely different and grew. So, you know, a lot of times when I think about the brands I look up to, they were brand, they were brands that I was at. And it's, it's what I think about where my learning you know has come from. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. And I think others too, this whole idea of, you know, what, what tired old brands can you come in and disrupt? And maybe I think you just coined a new phrase, the uh, premiumization. Is that, yeah, is that I, you said? I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't coin it. Honestly, it's, uh, okay. you know, we'll give Morgan Stanley the credit for that because that's, that's a term they taught me through the Rayos process. So. <laughs> well, um, it's, it's new here. It's new for me and I think it's going to be new for others. So, um, just, it's just very insightful and I, you know, I appreciate you coming on winning at work and just kind of sharing a little bit about your, uh, your history. You're very, uh, uh, low key about it, but you've had a very, a very successful run. So if people want to connect with you, are, are you on socials? I mean, is there a way for people to connect or follow you or watch the work that you're doing? I mean, LinkedIn is the easiest way to get me. And, um, you know, if you, if you send me a note on LinkedIn, I, I try to respond. I always do. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's, man. It, it, no, it's tough on LinkedIn just cause I get so many requests, you know, but I, I, I do try to stay on top of it. So if, um, you know, if, if someone needs to reach me, it's probably the best way to reach me. That's great. Well, the final uh, shout out is obviously we have people that are listening that are, are going to be following and kind of tracking the brand. Do you have any particular uh, hiring needs that maybe someone hears and they would love to, you know, come to you specifically about something that you're searching for? Right now, we're good. Um, you know, fortunately, I've been able to work within my own network so far. Um, so far, so good. All right. Yeah, so far, so good. I've been able to hire within the network, and we're staffed through 22 right now, so I'm not looking for anything. You know, I don't have any immediate needs right now. I always like to get it out there because a lot of people are listening, and, you know, people are more than willing to float a resume over to you. Well, Eric, Got thank it. you so much for joining us here today. Uh, thank you for having me.